2: Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast proudly presented by NBC Sports Edge. My name is DJ Short and with me here once again is Drew Silva. We are live on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel right now as well as the NBC Sports Edge Twitch page. So welcome to our audiences there and uh, just for context if you're listening to the audio version of this show we're recording Thursday night September 30th so We've made it to the final weekend of the 2021 MLB regular season uh, with an AL wildcard race, which could very well go down to the last day. I know that's not so great for George here. Our, Our guest this week, George Bissell, our very own. George Bissell, Um, thanks for thanks for coming on the show, man.
3: Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, Glad to be here to be able to talk some Brady back to New England and the Red Sox collapse. (laughs) It's just super cheerful here in New England right now. You guys caught me on a good day, right? Right. (laughs) To me, it kind of feels
2: like the last day of school. It's got those kind of vibes to me today. Like I I did my final waiver wire of the season earlier. Got the final regular season podcast right now, so. Feeling a little, little loosey-goosey right now. Uh, we did do some prep for this episode. Last week, we did our biggest fantasy surprises of the season. So this year, we're going to break out our biggest fantasy disappointments of the season and also talk about their chances of bouncing back uh, next year. Um, but before we do that, uh, we have a special offer for our listeners. You can use promo code basis ten. For 10% off, any premium subscription for NBC Sports Edge Plus can be either monthly or annual and for any tier. It also works across all sports. So, yes, baseball's ending, but football in full swing. NBA, NHL seasons are getting close as well, so it is a great value. Remember, it's promo code bases 10 You can go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash premium to get started uh, so Drew, it was nice to see uh, your Cardinals break their losing streak of one game. Uh,
4: <laughs> I was I'm sure, sure that was that, yeah. really
2: tough for you. So I, I yeah. feel for you, man.
4: I was in a dark place for like uh, ten hours because that game was on Wednesday night where they lost. But then they had a day game today on Thursday afternoon, and they and they won. So they're on a one-game winning streak, eighteen and one since september 11th 20 and 2 since september 8th yeah um that's how we do it you know i, I knew this all along i knew this would happen i told you guys <laughs> you know uh, over and over on the pod uh when we had Derek gould on of the st louis post you Spotify. were
2: very pessimistic at that time and you know who the optimist was
4: <laughs> yeah i know that's true
2: <laughs> i think it's just because i'm used to their their devil magic and it just happened again it's just one of those things
4: well, you know, for like the first 10 games of this streak, I was like, oh, this is this is fun, and maybe they will get into the wild card game, but it's not a very good team. But I'm like starting to talk myself into, hey, there's maybe a path here, um, especially if they manage to beat the Dodgers in a wild card game. And you know, Max Scherzer's allowed a lot of runs in his last two outings. One of them was at Coors Field. Kind of wiped that off. Um, he's always struggled at Coors Field because he relies on some good breaking stuff, but, and that doesn't play as well in the thin air of Denver, but where was his other start? Where was that? Uh, it was like on Tuesday night.
5: Mm-hmm. On um, the Padres. Yeah. Oh, was Padres. The, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: So I, I would be, I don't know. I mean, two bad starts and, and one of them at sea level is nothing to be concerned about, but it feels like the Dodgers are maybe more gettable than they have looked like. Um, and in a one game coin flip, you never know. And, Adam Wainwright going, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching that game and going to have some friends over. And we just bought a new big TV with some of our wedding cash. That's what you, you spend. We got a lot of Amazon gift cards, so we put it towards the TV. So I'm excited to debut that thing for the NL NO wildcard game next Wednesday and drink a lot of Anheuser-Busch products, domestic white <laughs> beers.
2: Nice. Uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't know if uh, the Red Sox are going to be as fortunate, uh, George. Uh, We'll see. I I have never watched so much Mariners baseball than the past few days. The thing about me, like, I just love chaos, and so that's what I'm rooting for at this point. And the
3: Mariners would be chaos. So there's a bit of an internal group text where we debate amongst ourselves amongst a group of Red Sox fans and is it worse to make the playoffs and get beat by the Yankees or to miss the playoffs altogether? And I think we've settled on it's worse to miss the playoffs altogether because that means you've dropped two out of three to the Orioles. Then you probably got beat a couple times by the nationals to close out the season. So that's worse. I, I think if you're the Red Sox, it's a calamity if you miss the playoffs right here, but good for the Mariners. I mean, they haven't made it since 2001 longest, drought playoff drought in North American professional sports so if they make it that's a fantastic story so hard to feel bad about that but yeah this is a bad time share for the Red Sox if they end up missing the playoffs
4: this final week seemed to line up so well for the Red Sox where they were going into it but we said we said the same thing about the Reds like a month ago like their final month schedule was so favorable and I think maybe we should know better as baseball writers that you know any team can beat Anybody, especially when you're when you when you shrink the sample size down to weeks or even months.
2: The Phillies schedule was also I think the easiest September, and you know they've faded here too. I mean the Cardinals are part of the reason why they're so far out at this point, but uh,
3: the the other fun wrinkle here is that all of the games on Sunday start at the exact same time. So you could have within I don't know a 20-30 minute span two teams punch their tickets and the other three get eliminated. I mean, it, it, it could be really interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah
4: who, Who's fun. doing recaps that day? It's not going to be any fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's when, when DJ said, oh, this feels like the last day of school for him. I was like, I don't think it feels like that for George at all.
3: No, sorry. Yeah, Jorge and I have the recaps, so that's going to be a fun uh, little uh, two-hour stretch of our I, lives.
4: I, I'll hop on and take a few, for real. I'll, 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 that's on record now, so I have to do it.
3: you're you're obligated well the cool thing
2: i mean this is sort of inside baseball literally um of how how the sausage is made but like with our last blurbs we tend to kind of have those more as like season recap kind of blurbs. so yeah you can sort of write some of that stuff in advance and and be ready with what you want to say so at least there's that
4: that's
2: um and i i kind of any like last day of the season type of stuff i just i float through it like it just feels so good um so, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it'll actually
4: be fun. Yeah, no one wants to hear us complain about our jobs, but once you actually see a light at the end of the tunnel, it gets a lot more fun, I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I mean, this year's been a grind with, like, the way that the news cycles have been, and we've talked about this, but with COVID not going away, like, you'll be on a news shift, and, oh, all of a sudden, there's an outbreak on a team, and you've got to write up eight transactions real quick, and then, oh, there's also lineup stuff, and other teams are making transactions. It's And the way that teams have used... Uh, the 10-day IL this year and the way that like the Rays and other teams have used their bullpen as like a carousel. Oh, it's just it, the Dodgers too. It's, it's non every a team makes some um, multiple moves like every day. I, I don't think it used to be like that. Maybe I'm just remembering incorrectly, but um, I, I, and, and actually like, so September used to be really easy for us uh, because they would expand rosters and you wouldn't have as many call-ups, which So September 1st, the actual call-up, September 1st call-up date was a lot easier than it has been in years past, but it hasn't stopped teams from shuffling their roster every day. Right. And sometimes
2: if a player was hurt, they wouldn't even put them on the IL because they didn't necessarily need to unless they needed to clear the 40-man spot. So it has been different. And, you know, maybe we all should have been on a blurb count this year after after last season, you know, only 60 games. It's like a pitcher only throws, like, 50 innings and now where you have to go 200 like it's a lot i, I think i have some like finger fatigue yeah um, yeah dead finger phase cuts, say, uh, yeah
4: purple tunnel <laughs> i got finger fatigue
2: yeah yeah no one no one pities us uh so uh we're gonna get started with these disappointments and i i think there's two that we have to talk about kind of separate um from this other group we each came up with three um And it's sort of the most obvious one, uh, Cody Bellinger. Um, I was actually asked on uh, the NBC Sports Edge Instagram account the other day where he's likely to be drafted next year, which is a really hard question to answer. I think I said fringe of the top 100 players. Mm. I think I'll stick to that for now. Um, Bellinger actually homered um, last night, right? His second game back from the IL part of that big comeback against the Padres, but still entering play Thursday. He's hitting 161 with 10 home runs and a 540 OPS over 91 games. He's missed a bunch of time, hamstring issues. Uh, had that uh, non-displaced fracture in his rib cage more recently, um, but it's been a struggle all year. He's essentially been benched against left-handed pitching as well. He's nine for eighty four with twenty strikeouts against left handed pitching this season. And if, if you remember, twenty nineteen is his huge season. He hit two eighty with a nine eighty two OPS against left handers. Um, so this is a this is a different hitter right now, obviously. And the thing about Bellinger is like we've known him to be a tinkerer. He literally did that after his his twenty nineteen season, and then he suffered the shoulder injury during the postseason last year. Needed surgery on that. There's been a lot of talk about him struggling to regain strength in that shoulder, mm-hmm. and I think there's something to be said for that, obviously. But being that he's a tinkerer, I think that's something that he's just going to have to work on during the offseason. It's it's sort of impossible for all that to lock into place. I think the talent's still there, so you, you gamble on it, but he's, he's just a wild card at this point.
4: I don't even really have – much insight on it other than i would bet that the shoulder has been more of an issue than maybe he has led on and and maybe more than the the other injuries that he has sustained throughout the season and he's always been a little bit up and down like metrics wise numbers wise since he broke through in 2017 um it's a bit been a little up and down but it has never been this down yeah i mean it's 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 weird that he like made that swing change after his great 2019 season when he won nl mvp Um, And he kind of abandoned what he was working on the entire offseason. So maybe he's in his head a little bit too about it as well. Um, But I don't know. I don't really have a great take on it other than to say if if I'm in the ninth round or something and he's there, he'd be super attractive to me next spring. Just banking on a lot of time off may have helped um, all these injuries heal and that he's a smart enough guy and open to making changes that he will make those changes going into the spring.
3: So baseball prospectus has an injured list ledger where they keep track how many days per season a player has missed due to injury and Belger has missed 73 games due to injuries that he's been on the injured list for. That's not dealing with just day-to-day physical stuff that may have impacted his game. And that's the issue. It's, it doesn't seem like it's a talent issue. It's a physical issue. And, you guys, I'm sure, have talked about it numerous times on this podcast, but when you're injured, it, it changes how you train, how you recover your day-to-day because instead of being out there taking extra BP or working in your swing, maybe you're in the training room. You're, you're getting extra extra treatment, extra work in. So that alters everything for a hitter, and I think for a guy like Bellinger and then Mookie Betts who's been dealing with a hip issue all season, it's, well, how are these guys feeling in the spring and how does that impact their production next year? That's the big thing to watch, I think, is we're going to have to really pay attention early on in the spring next year to see how they're doing physically. And if things are okay, then I think you can bet on the talent winning out and then returning to some level close to where they were in the past, maybe not all the way back, but pretty close.
2: Right. And I think even out of the gate, uh, if you're in a fantasy league that allows for daily lineup changes, you're probably not putting him in there against left-handed pitching until he shows that he can do it again. So, you know, that, that may push him out of the top 100. I think who wants a platoon player you know on their on their roster although you know the Rays bench Austin Meadows and you know Brandon Lau against lefties every time so and they've still been pretty productive so you know there's a path but it gets a little little trickier Um, the other one we should get to is Adalberto Mondesi has only appeared in 31 games this year uh, going into play Thursday missed time with oblique and hamstring injuries 21 of those games have been this month it's been a mixed bag. <laughs> uh, he's hitting 187 this month, but he's 13 for 13 in <laughs> stolen bases. And the funny thing about him, it's like pretty much every time he gets on base, he runs because he has 14 hits this month, four walks, and 13 stolen bases. That is that is just bizarre. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the flawed approach is nothing new. Like we've known that 250 career hitter, 284 on base, but... He just can't stay healthy. And
4: yeah, yeah.
2: it was very telling. You know, I think it was about a month ago, Dayton Moore. Like, you never hear this honesty from a front office executive. They always, like, talk up their players. But he was just bluntly honest, saying, like, we cannot count on modesty to be a an everyday player in 2022. Like, you can hope for it. But to build around him, which maybe a couple of years ago could have been realistic, it's just not – wise to do that and i think they've they've realized that and you know just as a team shouldn't build around him, neither should a fantasy manager basically is where we are at this point
4: he did play 59 of a possible 60 games last year I i think he would do great in a 60 game season if major league baseball just went to that but yeah yeah and i think i mean this is so health related that I don't. I mean, he's definitely not going to be a, a second round pick in drafts next year, but I don't think he's going to drop that far because you you know the unique talent that he has, like you mentioned, thirteen for thirteen and stolen bases, even though he's only reached base like fifteen times this month. Um, so that upside with the speed makes him such a, a unique commodity in fantasy, and I, maybe moving to third base is going to help him stay, you know, more physically durable. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think he's still going to be very intriguing in fantasy because he has that speed that he can lap the field and still stolen bases if he stays even remotely healthy. Um, and, he, I, I, like, a few years ago, what was it, after 2018, when he hit a bunch of home runs in a short span, people were dreaming of, oh, this is like a real – really could be like a five-category kind of guy. I don't yeah. think he'll ever really be that. I think that was a bit fluky. Um, but just the speed that he offers and – if he's healthy, he's going to be in the Royals lineup. Like, I, I think Dayton Moore is just a very honest guy, and he was just kind of speaking off the cuff there. Um, honest, like, to a fault sometimes, the way he, but I, I also, I've actually really come around to like Dayton Moore the way that oh, me too. he, he yeah. treats people individually. Um, I, I don't know that he's necessarily the best guy to like run your business, but he seems like actually a really good person. So if, if he's healthy, he'll be in the lineup and he'll be stealing a ton of bases and scoring a bunch of runs. And if he hits well enough, he can move into like a good lineup spot for them, and that will just increase the amount of runs scored and just the amount of like more teammate-dependent counting stats. I would never guess that he's going to be a, a 20-homer hitter. Um, maybe he gets to 20 at some point in his career, but uh, n- nothing really beyond that. How old is he? Is he twenty six? I, I think I was gonna. Yeah, he's twenty six.
3: Hmm. So my take on it is the big issue with Montez here is roster construction related because given the way the stolen base landscape is, I understand the case for doing it, but we struggle to project playing time, and I think it's he's going to be really difficult to project a huge amount of plate appearances for. So that reduces what you can realistically bank on him contributing to your fantasy team. And I think there's just more attractive options later on, guys who can steal bases that maybe will take a step forward. Like if you were to tell me like Harrison Bader was going to steal 30 bases next year and maybe be equivalent in the other four categories, you know, that to me is more attractive than investing an early round pick in Mondesi where you know what the flaws are and you you pretty much know he's going to miss time where – That elite upside may exist, but the odds of him reaching it are like 2%. You can't bet on that as a realistic outcome. So that's my bigger issue is the acquisition cost with getting him on your fantasy roster Uh, with Mondesi moving forward.
4: Yeah, and I had never really been a Mondesi guy until this spring. Like I talked myself into it. Um, This was not the spring to be in on him. But, again, it's about injuries. It's not really about performance so much.
3: Yeah, with just so many risks there, I'd rather take shots on similar profiles later on in my draft than sink an early-round pick on Someone who I know there are issues with.
4: Yeah, it'll it'll be super interesting to see where he goes. I I don't think he's gonna drop that much because somebody in your draft is gonna fall in
3: love with oh, the, sure. the idea of him. And you can't even refute their argument. It's like, yeah, that no, you really can't exists. Yeah. You can not make the argument that he is worthy of that type of investment, but the odds of him reaching it are just extremely low, in my opinion. Right.
2: So we each came up with three names outside of these kind of two the low hanging fruit of disappointing players um So, George, since you're our guest, I will let you get started, and we'll kind of do like a round robin kind of deal here.
3: Okay, I, f- I feel like I should start with Victor Robles because <laughs> this is someone who I just I struggle to figure it out now at this point. Because if you go back and, and look at where he was at the start of the year, there was a lot made. There was a great article in the Athletic from uh, Maria Torres, who covers the Nationals, and she wrote about how last year during the pandemic shortened season, Robles. changed who he was. He put on weight. He tried to become more of a power hitter, and he realized that when he didn't get the results that it was the wrong way to go. So he spent all offseason coming into this year overhauling his approach, slimming down, focusing more on gap-to-gap power, stolen bases, speed, and that didn't work either. So I I think when he was extremely productive in spring training, the Nationals had confidence in in him as a leadoff hitter, and you're looking at, okay, this is a guy who steals bases – has some pop, and he's going to lead off for a lineup behind Trey Turner, Juan Soto. You know some other good bats in that lineup as well. It looked like a, a real potential five category impact guy, and then it just kind of never came together. And I was looking at his numbers; he got demoted on September first. Do you know what he's hitting right now in Triple A over the last month?
4: Didn't he hit like a uh, inside the park home run his first at bat there?
3: Yeah, he's been phenomenal. He's hitting three twenty five. <laughs> with four homers and seven steals. Uh, So clearly it's not a talent issue. It it, it reminds me a lot, and I don't want to make the comparison, oh, this is the next Cedric Mullins or anything, but Hmm. this is sort of the issue we talked about with Mullins, where it took him a while to get confident and experience some success at the big league level before it all started to click. So I don't know that it's a skills issue. He doesn't make a lot of hard contact, but, you know, this is someone who every prospect evaluator out there believed in as as a competent major leaguer who was going to be a cornerstone for this franchise. And, yeah. you know, if you go back, he had a, a 17 homer 28 steal season in 2019 and he was 22 years old. So he's still only 24. I don't want to write him off completely. But at this point, like this year was was bad. And if you can get him in the later rounds next year, I think it's worth the gamble. But at this point, you can't justify taking him early anymore. We, No matter what happens this offseason with reports, you just can't do it.
2: Yeah, I, I I never really bought the hype on, on road list this spring. I think it was a lot of people, you know, trying to talk themselves into it. And you know, when you heard the Nationals wanted to push him as a lead off leadoff man, obviously that's that's nice. Um mm. he has been more patient this year, but he has never hit the ball hard, period. Um this year, bottom seventh percentile or lower in barrel percentage, hard hit percentage, and average ex- exit velocity. I think he's bottom first percentile in average exit velocity and that's been consistent throughout his career um his speed hasn't really bounced back this year his sprint speed um which is a bit discouraging um 12 for 19 in stolen bases over the past two seasons yes last year was shortened but just not what you want to see um and at this point yeah i think you take a shot like you know in the later rounds of a draft to just see where he is because he's so young but Um, And also the Nationals should be patient with him since they're not going to win next year. Uh, Same goes for our Carter Keeboom. Like, just play him. See what happens, you know? Uh, But yeah, I I think the expectations have to be very, very, very tempered going into next year.
3: Yeah, it's it's clear the expectations need to go down with him from now on. The ceiling's a lot lower than we maybe, maybe thought it was a year ago. Right.
4: I do like to n- note sometimes that uh, Victor Robles was a higher ranked prospect than Juan Soto, yeah. uh, but Soto played 120 minor league games. He debuted at age 19, so he didn't he really top, got
3: to know him. Yeah, yeah
4: he, he didn't have time to climb up top 100 lists.
3: So <laughs> with Robles, it was always the, the power is going to come. It was a future projection that the power was going to be league yeah, average right. at the major league level, and it just kind of never came together for him there, and that's kind of cratered the rest of his profile, I think right
4: I'll uh keston hero would be my first one who had a yahoo adp of 66 this spring kind of hard to uh remember that (laughs) yeah the seventh second base eligible player off the board eighth at first base um and has just been a complete bust this year only appeared in 59 major league games entering play on thursday when he did actually get a surprise call up to the brewers for their series finale at st louis only four home runs two steals in those 59 games a 166 batting average 558 ops 76 strikeouts to 14 walks and 193 plate appearances a 257 on base percentage he's played more games at triple a nashville in 2021 than he has in milwaukee and the numbers have been good on the farm like always like power and speed all the indicators that have made him so popular in fantasy drafts over the years and you know that factored into his excellent rookie season in the majors in 2019 that that year he what batted over 300 a high ops with 19 home runs, 9 steals across his first 84 big league games it's just, it's frustrating because you know the offensive talent is there he's done it in the upper minors he's done it in the majors um in at least a small sample size a former top 10 overall prospect on certain ranking sites his mom has been battling cancer so it's it's been a tough couple of years for him personally and professionally i, I did see that she's officially in remission now he told that to the brewers media people when they called him up on thursday morning so that's great news um he's going to have to make some changes and i, I know we throw that out there uh, but, I mean, he needs to. And and the DH is likely coming to the National League. You know, that probably does increase the odds that here is on the opening day roster next year. I can already see, like, the glowing spring training columns and notebooks from next March about the improvements and adjustments he made over the winter. And we'll just have to hope that those adjustments are real. Um, one thing we can say for sure is that he's not going to be a consensus top 70 pick next spring. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he drops into the, into the two hundreds um, yeah. just with how bad he's been it, really for the last year and a half. even You could even call it two years. Um, but yeah, as always in fantasy, it's worth betting on the talent and that betting ticket won't be so costly entering. I think what will, it'll be his age. He's 25 right now, but he turned 25 in August. So Next season will technically be his age 25 season. I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on him at some point in draft, you know.
2: To me, he just feels – it just feels like he's lost. Because, like, even at AAA this year, he's striking out a third of the time. Um, and his first go-around in AAA in 2019, like, the strikeout rate was, I think, in the mid-20s. So that's when he was coming up as a prospect. And, you know, the, at the levels prior to that, you know, low A, high A, double A – it was in that twenty percent range, and you know people were just saying this guy's like a pure hitter. Yeah. Um, so to see where he is right now, I don't know what it's going to take. Um, you know, mechanically or or something, some adjustment needs to be made. But yeah, he's just a he's a major wild card at this point, and maybe you know maybe the Brewers would consider trading him. Maybe a change of, change of scenery, a new organization, new philosophy could could help with that. I, I wouldn't rule that out either.
4: He seemed like a sure thing, not, not to yeah. necessarily maybe be a star and there were questions on def- about his defense and there still are, but to be like a really reliable major league hitter and he has just he not been that at least since his rookie year.
3: So We end up having this conversation a lot about hitters who strike out a ton and it's you can strike out a ton and still be a very productive fantasy contributor. You just have to do damage when you do make contact, mm-hmm. as you've seen with guys like Javi Baez. and Austin Riley is a good example of a guy who had – Pretty elevated strikeout rates. Who's made it work is sort of a, a four-category, you know, power and counting stats guy. And I think that's sort of the path to fantasy relevance for hero moving forward. Is you know, right. you can strike out 30, 35 percent of the time, but you have to hit for power when you when you're up. And yeah, it just hasn't happened for him. Ty- yet, Tyler
4: O'Neill, man. Tyler yep, O'Neill was like that that's,
3: that's the exact yep. profile. Yep. The, the quality
2: of contact. Has to be there. I mean, when he came up on that, the huge surge he had in the small sample, like his batting average on balls in play was, I think, four hundred. Yeah, ridiculous. Like and yeah, there's some yeah. luck to that, but he also hit the ball extremely hard, and and that's kind of what you need um, to survive with a strikeout rate that high. So we'll have to see how he adjusts to that. Before we move on with more names here, just a heads up to our listeners: the NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered. Predict what will happen on Sunday Night Football for a chance to win up to $100,000 every week. It's free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com
0: slash predictor. So my...
1: First name
2: I'm going to go with is Francisco Lindor, uh, of course, traded from the Indians to the Mets during the offseason in a blockbuster trade, signs that 10-year, $341 million extension just prior to opening day. Now, drafted as a top 5 fantasy shortstop as he as he usually is, um was a second-round pick in in most leagues, but just had a terrible start to his season and has been trying to dig his way out, really, ever since. Uh, I was looking just prior to starting here. Lindor was hitting 178 as late as May 27th. But really since then, that I think that was Memorial Day weekend, he's been pretty close to his usual self. Has an 836 OPS over his last 78 games going into play on Thursday. Of course, he missed a bunch of time in the middle there with an oblique injury, but uh, he's been really good in September, eight of his 19 homers, 21 of his 59 RBIs this month. So uh, finishing strong. And I think that's probably going to stick in the minds of of fantasy managers, especially if he's, you know, helping them win a a title here. So I don't see Lindor slipping too far in drafts next year. Probably not a second rounder, uh, but third round, late third round, fourth round, somewhere in there. I think that's certainly possible. I think you have to take into account moving to a new league playing in new york and everything that that comes with that the pressures of that trying to live up to a big contract i know they're like narratives but i think it's i think it's real um the mets usually you know when a high profile player comes in the mets for whatever reason <laughs> that first year is a, is an adjustment time like we even saw it with carlos beltran um he was a huge disappointment in his first season but his second season he was an mvp candidate so you know, and Mike Piazza even heard the boo birds when he when he originally came over and wasn't sure if he wanted to stay. So, like you know, these things can happen uh, with players when they come to New York. Even Curtis Granderson talked about it, uh, despite playing for the Yankees previously, but coming over to play for the Mets, he struggled his first season before uh, turning things around. So, I'm very optimistic about Lindor being his usual self next year. But I have a question for you guys. Next season in drafts, would you rather have Lindor or Wander Franco?
4: Damn.
2: Yeah. Was an no, OBP? <laughs> yeah.
4: That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I don't know how to answer it yet either. I, it's I probably, probably, it's probably I would Lindor. probably take Lindor.
4: Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to say Lindor. Yeah. But that's a that's a really good question. It's, oh, and it's, I, it's
3: so tough with Franco. Cause you know, he's, you know, he's going to make the leap at some point. You just don't know whether it's next year or not. You really right. don't know. It's, it's yeah. tough.
4: I could, I could see a little bit of a sophomore slump for Franco. I, I, he's going to be awesome. But as far as like fantasy counting stats, you know, Lindor's kind of struggled, you know, dating back to the beginning of the short 2020 season, but he has 27 home runs and nearly 20 stolen bases in his last 180 games. Like, it's obvious the talent is obviously still there. And if you erase the dreadful second half from this year, um, it gets a whole lot better. And I'm all about a discounted Francisco Lindor next year. If you can get a a potential five category, or let's even just call him a a four category guy now in like the third, fourth, fifth round, um, a shortstop playing in what I think will still be a pretty darn good Mets lineup. We'll kind of see what they do this winter. Um, I'm all about it.
3: I, I hate to go back to the narrative, Will, but didn't we kind of do this recently with Marcus Semien where he yeah. had that one really bad year, and it was – well, that was the outlier. That you know, <clears> Obviously, I'm <throat> yeah. not saying Lindor is going to go out and hit 45 home runs next year, but when you have – an yeah, when you have an elite talent, they have that ability to bounce back. I mean, we're even seeing it with a guy who's, uh, you know, like Joey Votto late in his career. Once you've shown that type of skill, you can get back to that level. It's not a guarantee, but you're capable of it, and you can't roll that out as a possible outcome moving forward.
2: Yeah, Lindor's quality of contact this year, Like, despite the batting average being low, he's hitting the ball just as hard as ever. So I'm really optimistic he's, he's going to be fine.
3: All right, so I'm up next, right? Let's uh, let's go with I, I went with another hitter here because I don't this is a part of this is injury related, but I just wonder what happened here. Uh Cabrian Hayes, this is someone who I was all over in the spring based on what he did in the abbreviated sort of sixty game pandemic shortened season. Is fantastic, at a fifty five percent hard hit rate, looked like a guy who maybe the over the fence power wasn't gonna be what it was in that brief debut, but this was still a guy who was going to hit plenty of doubles, get on base, had the ability to steal a couple bases, fantastic defender at third base And, and the pirates weren't a great team, but you thought, okay, this is going to be an impact hitter. And he injured his wrist early on in the season, missed a bunch of time and was just recently put back on the injured list with a wrist issue. So it makes you wonder, did that ever heal? And we know that wrist injuries are extremely tough for hitters to come back from historically. So, I think this year you can kind of almost write it off completely, but there are some concerns in the profile where I wonder if I'm going down the same path as I did with guys like Robles, where the elite over the fence power isn't there. And I'm just hoping that it eventually shows up and it just might not. And it it really limits the fantasy ceiling. So I'm going to struggle to evaluate him going forward. I thought he was going to be much better this year based on what we saw in 2020. And it just kind of never came together and, how much of that was injury-related? How much of that was going to happen anyway? I don't know, and I don't think we're ever going to know. Yeah. yeah,
4: I mean, that was 24 games when he – It was a 24-game sample size, and um, I think he's in a heck of an athlete, I do think he'll figure it out eventually, but he's also, also already almost pushing toward age 25 um, and never hit more than 10 home runs in a minor league season, has a 754 career OPS in the minors, there aren't a lot of indicators that he can come. And I mean, he's never going to come close to being a, a 376 hitter and a, with a 12, 24 OPS, like he did in 95 plate mm-hmm. appearance as a rookie. Like that's not going to happen, but I don't really know if he's right now, even half of that. Um, I, I, I just, I'm not really seeing the profile that suggests that he's that kind of player. And I was kind of out on him in like drafts this spring too. Cause just, If if we're if we're not going to trust the 2020 season for some players, why are we trusting Cabrian Hayes, who only who appeared in less than half of it?
3: Yeah, Yeah. that's a fair point. I think I think you kind of I looked at him as almost like a Chris Taylor path to fantasy relevance, where if you bump if if you get double digit homers and he can steal fifteen bases, counting stats help bump him up a little bit. Yeah, Um, that's a that's sort of a valuable mixed league contributor, but. I just—you're right. It, it, the path just might not be there for him, but the injury definitely clouds the whole situation more than uh, than I thought it was. Yeah, it
4: does. Happen. And yeah, the, the, those hamate bone or was a fractured wrist. Uh, those can like this can kill a season for uh, for a hitter. And I think it'll be better to evaluate him like come next month. He also just got shut down again on Thursday. Yeah,
3: he did.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah, the wrist yeah. issue again. So. They said it's a different area, like a different sensation. But I don't. I don't i like i think it could all be connected in some way you know uh it wouldn't be the first time that teams are not completely (laughs) forthcoming with information um but regardless of whether it's the same thing or not it's a wrist injury with a hitter and that's that's not good um and he hit the ball surprisingly hard i think that was like the most surprising thing when he initially came up he had a bat he had a batting on balls in play it was like 450 in that small sample but He hit the ball really hard. And to me, you can't like fake that. So, yeah, maybe he's not a consistent like 20 plus homer guy. But if he can hit 275, 280, 15 to 20 homers, 10 to 15 steals every year, that's pretty useful. And his defense is off the charts, going to keep him on the field. Like, he's going to be the cornerstone third baseman for that team. And, but he's probably just going to be a player who's more valuable in real life than
3: than
4: fantasy. You know he's going to play every day in Pittsburgh at least.
3: Yeah. yeah. Like like if he's hitting like 315 at the end of April next week, like we won't be surprised. Like if he just goes on a little bit of a hot streak, yeah. like that wouldn't shock me. So I just think he's someone you're going to want to keep an eye on.
4: He has the yeah. athleticism to figure it out. I just we're, – we're pushing toward the age where he's not a prospect anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, well, definitely. My next guy is Chris Paddock who had a yahoo adp of 116 and he seemed like he would be at least a reliable long-term and short-term fantasy arm when he broke into the majors in 2019 at age 23 and put up a 3.33 era 0.98 whip 153 strikeouts with 31 walks over his first 140 major league innings and He was decent in 2020 uh, during the shortened year, good ratios, but a not so great ERA in the upper fours. And then came the 5.07 ERA this season, which ended early because of a partial UCL tear in the second week of September. He got an, an injection this week and is hoping to avoid surgery. Already had Tommy John once before. That was in the early part of his career. I think it was in 2016, like right after he got drafted. Uh, so we'll see how that situation plays out. But I don't know, just from a per- a performance perspective. I don't like what we're seeing here. And Nick uh, from Pitcher List kind of talked me down the uh, on Chris Paddock. He, he he has never liked him. He was he was a two pitch guy as a rookie fastball changeup, like almost exclusively and has tried to work in a curve and a cutter and just not to very much success with either of those pitches. And and really the fastball has not been a good pitch for him either, even with a slight increase in velocity since he initially arrived in San Diego. I, I worry about where Paddock fits into the Padres rotation plans for 2022 as well, even if he does have a clean bill of health and is able to rehab that UCL injury. Got to
2: make room for Jake Arrieta, man.
4: And Vince, <laughs> and Vince Velasquez and was it Ross Detweiler, too. Um, oh, man. But, yeah, Mike Clevenger coming back. You, Darvish, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell would be locked in. Yeah. Ryan Weathers will be an option. Den- Denelson Lemette uh, is still around. Mackenzie Gore could finally emerge. And they have some other great pitching prospects. There are health concerns with some of those names, but I don't know. Do the Padres – look to trade paddock that's kind of always like the easy out from media people oh you just trade him, but it's probably a terrible idea because his value is so low right now especially with the ucl stuff so i don't really see them finding a trade partner that would fit what they think of him Um, maybe he enters 2022 as like a swing man or spends a little more time at triple a you'd have to really talk yourself into it to like believe that he should be treated as Uh, anywhere close to a top 30 starter in fantasy next spring, which he was this spring. And yeah, I don't, I I don't see anyone treating him that way. I I think he's almost kind of off the board.
2: Yeah. Um, His curveball, like he's actually gotten good results on it this year. And the, you know, the limited time he's thrown, he's thrown a little bit more than, Mm -hmm. than last year. Um, So we'll see. Like, I mean, the, the, the big thing for him is just being healthy enough to pitch. Like that's a big question right now. It's going to be a big question going into spring training next year. We'll just have to see how he looks. But in addition to that, we're going to have to see how his uh, how his arsenal evolves. Like if he throws that third pitch more often, he's going to be more interesting because you know, peripheral wise, he's fine. And it's it's weird if you look at his all the the advanced metrics you know, five hundred seven ERA, but four six nine x ERA. Okay, I tend to believe that more. Three point seven seven fifth, three point eight eight six X fit which is mostly strikeout to walk
4: mm-hmm. ratio based. At that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so like, there's still some intrigue there, but I don't see him being anything more than a than a late round pick at this point.
4: Yeah, and and I think I just kind of fell into the trap of looking at almost his like baseball card stats when he was so yeah. good as a rookie, and you you look at the youth, you look at the ERA. You look at the strikeout to walk, and you're like, how could this guy not be awesome long-term? He's just going to get better, right? And the yep. fact is, he he has not made the adjustments needed to become a better starting pitcher. I could see him being a pretty good like reliever. If he adds that velocity, if he gets that fastball up to like 97-ish um, with a good changeup and maybe mixes in that curve. But I And maybe the Padres will look at that too as an option. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. I could
3: see it. I just worry about the strikeout rate being down. Where, if yeah, if it's not him, it's not great. It's never been super high. The past no, two it, years, it's not been high.
1: Yeah,
3: right. So that limits the ceiling. Is is where if you looked at a guy like a Robbie Ray, it was always like, well, if this guy figures it out, the strikeout rate is astronomical. Like he, he's going to reach a much higher ceiling. So, like if Paddock's strikeout rate doesn't go back up, I don't know why you're investing in him as someone who could take a jump forward because this the results from a strikeout standpoint just aren't going to be fantastic there. So I, I question it there. I'd rather take a risk on a guy who misses a lot more bats, is basically what I'm saying. Right.
0: That's a fair... Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.
5: Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Do
1: you want a beautiful lawn? point and
2: uh i guess this is a decent segue so uh my disappointment is is one that it's hard for me to figure out aaron nola uh drafted as a top 10 starting pitcher this spring and and deservedly so had a 3.28 era over 12 starts last year with a career best strikeout percentage a nice bounce back year from uh 2019 Uh, but things just haven't worked out for him this year Has struggled to the tune of a 4.63 ERA over 32 starts. He's done for the year now. He's made his final start. So going to go into the offseason with a 4.63 ERA, his highest since 2016. And he's another one. Peripheral-wise, he's been fine. 223 strikeouts, just 39 walks, and 180 in two-thirds innings. Walk rate's never been better. But the home run ball has really hurt him. He's allowed 26 of them. And the other thing to note with him, ground ball rate it's been around 50% for his career but this year it was all the way down to 40.5%. So ball being hit in the air more often, a decent amount of those leaving the yard, uh, that tells you a lot about what has ailed him. Also, two strikes. For whatever reason, he's given up a lot of knocks with two strikes. I think he's I think he's given up the most in the National League among pitchers with two strikes. But, you know, you look at the peripherals Fielding independent pitching, I think it's important for certain pitchers to pay attention to this. Has him at 3.36, a full run lower than his actual ERA, and that's relevant because the Phillies' defense is terrible. Tied with the Tigers for worse than the majors among defensive runs saved. If the Phillies improve their defense, big if, obviously. Alec Bohm going to the DH spot, That's that should help, but if they can improve that defense, I'll be a lot more optimistic about Nola. I think there's a ton of upside with him. And in fact, he's someone I'm going to target next year for sure. I don't see him getting past like the top 15 starters just because the strikeouts have been on the rise. The control's so good. I think we see a decent bounce
3: back from him next year. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the defense is the, the glaring issue here for the Phillies. And I, I was looking yeah. up his deserved run average, which is a baseball prospectus metric. And this has been a pretty good indicator of, you know, it, it looks at your past performance. It's not really a future uh, looking forward metric. Um, right. It's not really pre- used predictively. but his DRA was around three, 3.02. And wow. his ERA was like 4.6, right? So, right um clearly he should have had better results from a run prevention standpoint this year so i think that's pretty obvious and if the phillies make some improvements defensively yeah i, I think he trends in the right directions because he still has that elite control and misses a ton of bats yeah. the home run rate's not astronomical for major league pitchers yeah. just- it's
2: just he's allowing more fly balls now
3: that's the yeah. other thing we're gonna have to track yeah. he's kind of changed his pitch mix this year too so you know maybe they'll reevaluate that as well we saw that with guys like Scherzer when they got older. It was a lot of solo home runs that he was giving up. So it yeah. looked like he's giving up, you know, thirty four home runs a year, but it's you know, if there's nobody on base, it's not a huge issue. But with mm-hmm. Nola, right, you know, you, you get a couple guys on and then all of a sudden it becomes a lot more runs going up on the board. So sure. That's yeah. the thing to watch with him.
4: The Red Sox did just finish off that loss to the Orioles. So they're now tied with the Mariners for the second they're the Mariners are off tonight, right?
3: Uh yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Yankees are right. up five to two. They just wow. hit, they hit four home runs off Robbie Ray tonight. So
4: it's going to be a very wild, week, wild a weekend, weekend, man. Yeah. What happens
2: with the Cy Young award in the AL? Like Garrett Cole had a bad start yesterday, uh, and now Cole today. I think two or not Cole, but right. Robbie Ray. I think two out of two out of uh, Ray's last three starts have not been very good. So I even that situation
3: is a little bit muddled. It, it's like the president's trophy, right? Where if the, whoever has it, it's like <laughs> cursed. Like whoever you think is in the lead is just like gonna go up, give it, eight runs. Right.
2: Yeah. I still think it's probably Robbie Ray, but it's 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 gonna be close. It's Shane Boz. Who
3: are we kidding?
4: <laughs> just
3: give yeah. me the award
4: now. Give it. A, give um, him all to Otani. <laughs> I'm, I'm
3: alright with that. <laughs> all right with that. Uh, all right. So,
2: George, your your final your final pick here.
3: Yeah. So. I wanted to hit on this guy because I think it's more uh, illustrative of of what we we talk about during the off season. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, he was drafted right around pick one hundred mm-hmm. in NFBC average draft position. Look where, wherever you want to get your your average draft posi- average draft position data. He was right around pick one hundred. I mean, yeah, he was somebody we all thought was going to be uh, a really impactful fantasy starter, and you know he. Didn't live up to those expectations. A lot of things went wrong. Basically, the control backslid and he struggled to throw strikes, and that led to a total collapse of his entire profile to the point where the A's actually traded him to try to win now, to get Stalling Marte, which was probably a good move. You know, If they'd been able to make the playoffs, he Mm. was maybe the most impactful player at Delta at the trade deadline. So I don't blame them for that. But my issue here with Lizardo is it gets back to a point where we kind of project these hitters and pitchers to take the next step when they haven't done it yet. We mm-hmm. think they're going to, we think the workload's going to be there. We think the talent is this. And that was kind of what I was talking about with the other two players. I highlighted earlier in Robles and Hayes, it's where we make the jump and I'm guilty of this, just like a lot of people, I'm sure. And you you think it's going to happen, but it doesn't. And that's where you get in trouble. Where as you are better off taking shots later on, where if you look at where like Freddie Peralta, Um, Trevor Rogers, Logan Webb, you know, those were guys where if they hit their ceiling, the impact was going to be similar and you could have gotten them 200 picks later. So that's where I think you have to look at this going forward. It's it's not getting caught up in the upside and reaching on a guy who hasn't done it yet. I think that's something I'm going to try to be more cognizant of moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think especially with young pitchers, like, the aging curves are so like all over the map with pitchers. It's different than hitters. I know rookie hitters have struggled this year, which is like kind of a little weird. I think the lack of a minor league season last year has something to do with that, but we're kind of used to the young hitters coming up and, and making an impact, making some improvements, getting to the next level. Pitchers are not a straight line. And I think that's something we maybe we have been spoiled by the hitters being successful we expected those pitchers to make the jump just doesn't work that way.
4: Did you guys read that article in the athletic? I think it was from Travis Sasha about the guy that like has been dominating NFBC. And then I'm cherry picking a portion of the column. I found there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about his strategy and some of it's luck and diversifying his lineups, which is just smart if you're going to play a bunch of teams, but he's like, he like as a philosophy is like, I avoid players who haven't done it before. You know, he's like, I'm not afraid of getting a veteran. Um, I don't like really necessarily like s- chase after upside, and I think a lot of us as fantasy analysts are, are kind of buy into the upside thing too much. Like, oh, it's it's going to happen, and we've we should know better that like there are so many cases there. There's more cases where it doesn't happen than when it does happen. I just like that article because it made me like kind of reevaluate myself. Like, oh, I, I kind of yeah. got check the way i yeah. approach things
3: so that that's yeah blue salt I can't argue that. yeah i read that one and that's kind of where i drew a lot of the inspiration for what we talked about tonight off of it's like well are <laughs> you have that moment where you look in the mirror you're like are we doing this wrong and it's like maybe because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that, that, that may be an yeah. area where like you said drew we're we're getting it wrong and we need to maybe reflect a little bit more on that I
4: Whereas, mean, at the end of the day a lot of this stuff is luck i was about to cuss but um <laughs> but it, it's good to kind of look in the mirror sometimes and be like all right let me like pull back on just buying into talent all the time and like a perceived upside from players that i i never even really saw jesus know, a pitch but before i said oh this guy's the next big thing
2: but i fear we're not going to learn lessons
4: from no we're not. Of, not of course
2: and not. you know why it's it's all it's vlad jr it's otani Maybe more Vlad, right? Because I've been hesitant to believe because I didn't see it before. So I didn't, I haven't really had him in any league over the past couple of years because he hadn't done it yet. And now I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, I don't want to miss player X yeah.
3: making the leap. And like, it, we're going to fall into the same trap it's tough when you look at like really uber elite, like generational type talents like that, where it's like, okay, yeah, the risk of them imploding entirely is maybe a bit lower, but it's like guys who kind of, you know, those pop-up kind of prospects um, who burst onto the scene that maybe we need a little bit, be be a little bit more careful of thinking they're going to pitch 160 innings where that might not happen or, or a hitter coming up. And, You know, sort of what Phil was talking about a lot in the article I thought was interesting was he was looking at like guys like Adam Wainwright and Yuli Gurriel who were just boring veterans. You could pencil them in for, you know, 600 plate appearances or, you know, 30 starts and they have value, but we just don't value them properly because we are bad at projecting playing time. And that's a whole separate discussion. But that was fascinating to reflect a little bit on maybe some of the areas that we can improve on a little.
4: We should also put yeah. into context that this is coming off a pandemic-shortened season where there was no minor leagues, and so uh, maybe yeah. like evaluating prospects will be a little bit different going into next year than it was this year. But he was smart to have that strategy going into this year. I don't, I don't think anyone. Yeah, I, <laughs> Yuli Gurriel. No one was going crazy about, it. or Adam Wainwright <laughs> for that matter. Um, all right, we can we can go lightning round, I guess, to finish this off. James sure. Karinchek. Um, yahoo ADP 94 and you know the at the end of the day relievers can be fickle beasts in fantasy and especially in this modern era of base of bullpen usage and i got to give you credit on this dj because you were seeing it more than most that james Karinchek might not be the locked in closer necessarily in cleveland Um, i remember our positional preview pods in the spring you had uh, Kieranscheck quite a bit lower than the consensus and held held firm on that in the lead up to draft season. As more people hopped on board that train, kind of reading between the lines with what Manager Terry Francona was saying, and Kieranscheck earned only two saves in April, despite pitching really well. He had a good first month, first half overall, a two point five two ERA, sixty eight strikeouts through thirty nine and a third innings as of the all-star break, but he then allowed 11 earned runs in nine innings between July 30th and August 27th. At which point, at which point the Indians, uh, I guess soon to be renamed the guardians sent him down to triple a Columbus where he has remained uh, th- for the rest of the season. I thought that demotion was pretty aggressive. It's not like the overall numbers were dreadful, like an ERA just over four for the entire season. And with this franchise, I'm, always kind of like side-eyeing how they're approaching financial matters, financial decisions. Like, were they trying to stunt his service time somehow or diminish his arbitration costs when those years Mm -hmm. arrive? And either way, Emmanuel Classé has emerged as like an absolutely dominant closer for them and will probably be the primary ninth-inning man there uh, going into 2022. I guess it depends on if Francona is back. I know he's had some health problems and sat out most of the second half this year. Um, there's a lot up in the air with this team, not only yeah. the name change, but uh, how they're going to approach the off season and pretty much every part of their roster. But yeah, I mean, Karen check appeared to have the goods to emerge as a top tier fantasy reliever this year and people were treating him that way. And it just yeah. didn't happen. He was the number five or number six closer off the board in most drafts this spring.
3: Yes, he was. He lost a ton of velocity there in July. And I think that's what precipitated the decision to send him down was like he-
4: or something, something here. yeah. Something
3: so. they thought something was wrong and he lost control too. So, yeah, I can see why they did it. But
2: meanwhile, uh, Emmanuel Classe throws a hundred mile per hour cutter, yeah. <laughs> uh, which he
4: throws like 102 with movement,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I'm underselling it, yeah. It's like uh, watching a Gratterall pitch. You're like, how does anyone yeah. hit this? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, it's crazy. Uh so my last guy is Yuan Mancata and I was willing to give him a mulligan for last season because COVID clearly sapped his energy. I mean he didn't even attempt to steal a base. Yeah. His quality of contact was just cratered, terrible. Uh so I pretty much forgave that altogether. Uh, and he's he has returned to form this year at least in regard to being a valuable real life player, but I'm kind of stuck in between about where he fits as a fantasy option, gets on base a ton, 376 on base percentage this year. But the fantasy numbers, just not that interesting. 262 batting average, 13 home runs, 58 RBIs, 71 run score, just three stolen bases in, in five attempts. And this was someone who even coming even coming off that bad year was expected to be a top 100 player, was drafted as such. But he's been outproduced in Yahoo Leagues by Luis Arias. Tommy Edmond, Ryan McMahon, Gene Segura, Chris Taylor, Ty France, all of whom were drafted much, much later in standard mixed leagues. Now, Moncada improved his contact rate this year, you know, after last year, which again, I'm throwing out, but not quite on the level of 2019. I think we might have to accept that that 2019 season was sort of the outlier from a fantasy perspective.
4: Isn't he like he's like second in line drive rate in the main? Yeah, um, I don't, I'm confused by him.
2: Yeah, I'm confused too. Um, <laughs> but to if t- he's not gonna run and he's not a 30 homer player, yeah, what is he? Uh, right, he's not hitting 300. It, it's it's tough, man. He
4: gets it's on tough. base, and I, actually, yeah, what is he in fantasy is like the the question.
2: Yeah, I'm not bad mouthing him, so don't tell Janice Scuria <laughs> <yet> that I'm. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we had a final and, podcast on Monday. I think you're safe. But, yeah. She we'll brings out this. the yeah, she brings out the knives when you bad. Right. Bad, bad we need but a I'm social
3: a- team to clip this and put it out there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid this is the this is my takeaway. I think he's a bit overrated as a fantasy option. There you go.
4: Yeah. No, I I I think that's very safe to say. Um but man, I, there's there's ways to talk yourself into him breaking out at some point if you hit that many line drives uh, you're going to be nick castellanos and turn them into homers at some point right
3: let's see i don't know well here's a fun thing about Moncada is back in the day when he was still a prospect it was oh he's gonna steal a ton of bases and it's like yeah i think anyone can steal 50 bases in single a that's a lot of people that
4: do it there's a lot of dudes that do he had
3: 49 in 2015 in single a and it's like okay sure he yeah. hasn't run at all in the majors. So, before,
4: uh, before we close, I, I want to mention Luis Robert too, um, and he's another injury guy who didn't play many games, but he's shown all the tools, like all the elite six by six, five by five fantasy scoring production. Um, I don't think he's going to drop much at all, and I think he actually might rise a bit, even though you know the the whole season totals aren't going to be very high because he's been tearing it up in September. And if the White Sox go on a deep run, he'll become more popular um he was like mid to late third round this year around 35th 40th overall pick depending on where he drafts i think he's going to be a second round pick i think like maybe even late first round pick with what he's been doing over this this month because we know the pedigree is there and um he's he's started to really put it all together with that
2: his his approach has been better this month too i think i think i saw that the other day so that's a that's a good step in the right direction for him because that's that's
3: really the missing piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I ended up writing about him on Tuesday for Wednesday's daily dose. And he's just been really great this month. Like you were saying, Drew, and here's a good question. Would you rather have him or Wander Franco next year? Robert, Robert. See? Yep. Yeah,
2: definitely. Got to chase that me. upside. Got to chase the upside. Like I always do. Uh,
4: <laughs> we'll learn nothing.
2: <laughs> uh, but George, thanks for coming on the show. I, you've been coming on uh, a bunch. of I mean, we're all week long. You've been coming on more often recently, so that's been good to see. Uh, and we're going to keep the shows going during the offseason. The frequency of the podcast is going to change a little bit now that we're shifting into the postseason. Next week, we'll have episodes come out on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And then after that, we'll shift to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. For the remainder of the postseason, then we'll move to twice a week, for the off season and the hot stove, we have another project we might be working on too. Um, so tons of good stuff coming up. You want to subscribe, stay up to date. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. But again, George, thanks for coming on. Thanks for all your awesome work this season. Um, your daily doses, your recaps. Uh, it's been it's been nice to read your stuff, especially like for me with like two kids. Sometimes I have to catch up. And you've been you've been very helpful.
3: So thank you. No, I thanks you thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, when we get done here, I'm about to go recap whatever's going on in Toronto, because it is chaos right now there. Yeah. Should we, be gotta a good let, finish. we
4: gotta let George go. He's on recap dude.
3: <laughs> yeah. Drew,
2: another season in the book, man. In the books.
4: I know. Damn. I feel old. Yeah. In um, more ways than one.
2: I'm uh, with you.
4: <laughs> I need a vacation. We're going on our honeymoon to New Orleans in November, so I'm looking forward to that.
2: Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll be back next week. We're not, we're not going anywhere. But it does feel a little different. It'll be slower. Shouldn't. It'll be slower. Yeah. Well, and plus, like, our whole mindset shifts from like looking at it through the fantasy lens to just like. Enjoying I mean, it. you're going to be stressed out. You and George, you might be stressed out too if the Red Sox <laughs> make it to the wild card game. But you're going to be. That's the. That's I the. I,
4: I dude, no. This is a a year of no stress. It's
2: house money. You're saying yeah. that now. You're saying that now. <laughs> Well, I, I will say it from I
4: have no expect actually my expectation is they're not very good <laughs>
3: <laughs> from an entertainment standpoint the wild card games are the best like day or two in baseball every year those games just yeah. the, the sudden death single elimination like winner go home there's nothing better those games are awesome even if uh, uh, you know unless your team's in it I guess then it's <laughs> right it's a whole different uh, kettle of fish So. Right, yes, exactly. So, called it today.
4: accurately that I can pretend like I'm not going to be stressed on Wednesday night, but I'm going to be freaking out. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to next week. If you like what you're hearing with this show, Circling the Bases, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. If we've helped you at all this season, maybe we have, I don't know, uh, it would mean a lot to spread the word about the show, so please consider doing that. Follow us on Twitter as well if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Silve. You're just at George Bissell, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yep. All right. Be safe out there, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care.